The color scheme of the Christmas fantasy is picked up and echoed in the Yuletide poinsettia. But how did this flower from a tropical clime ever win a place in a holiday that is hung with icicles and blanketed in snow? The explanation rests on a fascinating old legend. But before we turn to legendary lore, let us take a look at the positively legendary values of this friend of ours. a sad little girl, sad in spite of the coming of Christmas, or to be more exact, sad because of it. You see, the closer Christmas came, the more pressing her problem became. And thus comes our legend of the Poinsettia plant. Clorinda just couldn't think of anything she could bring to decorate the nativity scene in the convent school. Maria brought beautiful branched candelabra, gleaming silver from her fine home on the hill. Jose had brought a bronze cowbell with a soft, mellow tone that could hang above the stable. And all the other children had brought beautiful, perforated, fringed, and cut tin ornaments for the tree. But Clorinda just didn't know what to bring. It wasn't that she had such a choice to make. It was that she didn't have any choice at all. For Clorinda lived far outside the town, in a humble little adobe house, alone with her father. All day long, her father tended the sheep that belonged to the big hacienda, and he had little use for what he called foolishness around the house. Clorinda could remember vaguely the flowers that bloomed on her windowsill before her mother died, and the gay pottery dishes and bright woven cloth set at a table. But the cloth was long since worn out, and the colored pottery broken. Now Clorinda and her father ate off the bare-hewn boards of the table in common red clay plates. There was nothing of beauty in her life that Clorinda could give, nothing but the one precious thing of her mother's that she kept safely in her own room. And it was beautiful, like blue water with sunlight dancing on it. It was a squat vase of swirled blue glass with air bubbles captured in it. Glass like the blue sky sparkling as champagne. Clorinda knew nothing of champagne, but she knew the blue vase was exciting and lovely, the only thing of beauty that she owned, the only tangible memory of her mother 
and she could reach out and touch with a gentle finger. And the blue vase would be beautiful, filled with green branches or flowers, catching the candlelight beside the nativity scene. Clorinda struggled long between the desire to keep her only treasure, the precious secret it was, and the wish to add her bit to the scene in the convent chapel and give the vase to the church. But at last she could wait no longer. She must make up her mind. And so carefully Clorinda lifted the precious glass of sparkling blue from its shelf. It was late in the afternoon of Christmas Eve as she turned down the path to town with the vase in her hands. She must hurry if she wished the sister to put it in place before the Christmas Eve services. And so carefully at first, but then faster and faster, Clorinda hurried down the path, and then she stumbled. And in an instant, the glass was shattered into a hundred pieces of glittering blue. For a minute, Clorinda could hardly believe it. The vase she treasured would be hers no longer, and nor would it grace the chapel at the convent. It was gone like a broken dream. Clorinda, knees scratched and heartbroken, sat where she was on the hill and cried. But even grief and tears must end. And so, by and by, Clorinda wiped her eyes and left a streak of dirt and tears smeared across her cheek. Now, she had still to find something to bring for the nativity scene, and she had nothing at all left to give. She remembered the sister's kindly words. All the children can share in decorating the altar and nativity scene. Bring what you can, for all gifts are equal in his sight when with the heart. A candle or a green branch or the gold of the Magi are equally precious when given to God. And so Clorinda was in a way comforted. There must be something, an old candle stub back in the adobe hut perhaps, surely something. And then a green lank plant by the path caught her eye. It was bright and green even in midwinter, and its flaring leaves reminded her a little of palm leaves. And acting on impulse, she seized it and ran down the hill. But at the chapel, the people were already gathering for the services. And she was suddenly ashamed of her humble gift, her torn skirt, and her tear-streaked face. Until the sister came smiling toward her. Surprise and pleasure mingled on her kindly face. Why, Clorinda, where did you ever find such an unusual flower? Clorinda held out the plant and she shook her own head, unable to answer and unable to believe. The top leaves of the poinsettia had turned to crimson to make it a flower. It was big as a plate, red as a sunset, and in the chapel it stood towering in triumphant guard over the stable, the stars, and the bells. And so for Christmas, so the legend says, the poinsettia blooms each year in memory of a little girl's generous heart. Oh, 
colorful land south of the border where they share Me Mexico Christmas to our own Christmases here at home and this word from a friend of ours. season rolls around and holly wreaths are hung when silver bells ring melodies and carolings are sung I leave my cozy cottage with its hearth fire's ruddy glow and follow back the Christmas road to the days of long ago past fairy trees a twinkle with their rainbow colored lights 
past mystic little toy shops with their patterns of delight. Along the shining ribbon trail I wander to and fro. The gay road, the glad road that leads to long ago. And there drowsy children are a dream. Before the clock strikes eight, their waiting stockings mark a line beside the darkened grate. Their little roofs are friendly roofs, with chimney pots aglow, as I go back the old road to the road of long ago. When Christmas tapers burn their cheer, and worlds are newly gay, my heart turns to a gypsy elf and coaxes me away. Across the bridge to yesterday, through the years of drifting snow, I follow up the little road, the road to long ago. six-year-old Opal Marie Adams heard some of her elders discussing a news item which told of the death in a wreck of a man who was playing Santa Claus. This news of the death of Santa Claus was heartbreaking to the little girl. Explanations by her parents were not wholly satisfying. And so she asked her mother to see the editor of the paper and learn if the news were true. And in a moment, I'll tell you what the editor wrote to little six-year-old Opal Marie Adams. But first, this word from a friend of ours. that newspaper editor wrote when little six-year-old Opal Marie Adams asked, was Santa Claus really killed in a wreck?
beautiful Marie may banish all her fears. For Santa Claus still lives. The man who was killed in the wreck was but one of those hundreds of thousands of mortal aids to Santa Claus, who bring joy to children and to men and women all over the world. Because these people live their unselfish lives in such close communion with Santa Claus, they are selected by him as his assistants. The messages they bring to us come direct from him. Their lives are a constant reassurance to us that there is a Santa Claus, and our wavering faith is strengthened. But these aides are mortal. They live their purposeful lives and pass on. Santa Claus we know to be immortal. He has lived through all the ages since the breath of civilization touched savagery. He will live through all the ages yet to come. No, Opal Marie, the Santa Claus you love was not killed in the wreck. There is no disaster so great but that he can and will survive it. All through the horrors and sorrows of the Great World War, Santa Claus was in the trenches of all the armies on both sides. Wherever disaster, pestilence, and suffering exists, there will Santa Claus always be found, bringing comfort and happiness, and none of these have the power to shorten his life for an instant, nor to stay his hand in his ministry to the needy, into the homes of the poor as well as into the mansions of the rich. He pays his secret visits and sheds his cheery blessings impartially. He may not always bring you all the toys you wish, but in his great wisdom he will bring you those which he knows are best for you. And you, as a little girl, may not see him now when he steals into your home. You will be able to see him when you have grown older, and when you have the visualized him, you will have command with divinity. Your Santa Claus lives, Opal Marie, and there is no harm that can ever befall him. Santa Claus will never die. That was the message to Opal Marie Adams, who heard that Santa Claus was killed in a wreck and asked her newspaper editor if Santa Claus were really dead. Santa Claus lives today with this friend of ours.
have a Christmas fantasy that's never been told. It may have been known to the wise men of old how three little children came early at dawn with hearts that were sad to where Jesus was born. One could not see. One was too lame to play. While the other, a mute, not a word could he say. And yet, led by his star, they came there to peep at the little Lord Jesus with eyes closed in sleep. But how could the Christ child, so lovely and fair, not waken and smile when he heard their glad prayer of hope at his coming, of faith in his birth, of praise at his bringing God's peace to the earth? And then as the light softly came through the door, the lad that was lame stood upright once more, and the boy that was mute started sweetly to sing, while the child that was blind looked with joy on the king. Speaking of Christmas wishes, if you want yours to come true, an old Irish superstition practically offers you a guarantee that they will. All you have to do is whisper your wish up a chimney. Let it rise to the wind, and the winter's breeze will carry it off to the place where wishes come true. Chimneys figure in other superstitions as well. In Austria, for example, instead of writing to the lovelorn girls with romance on their minds, listen to the chimney while the Christmas feast is baking and roasting. And if they hear music, there is certain to be a wedding in the offing. But to consult the future up a chimney in Austria, a girl takes a risk. Because instead of music, she hears distant bells ringing. The church will not see a wedding but a funeral. Christmas fantasy, blue can be rich and dark. In a leather book binding that wears the scuffs of time, it can be a faint opalescence in the white feathers of a stork. It can be blue as a blue moon, or pale and indefinite as the swirling blue-gray smoke that spirals up your chimney from the Yule log.
to strong-scented smoke that spirals out of the chimneys in the Balkans during the Christmas season. For in many parts of the Balkan states, it is believed that the smell of burning leather will banish imps and evil spirits. And so the family saves up their cast-off shoes and belts and gloves, and even worn-out leather from a horse's bridle to burn on Christmas Eve. It's as different a Christmas custom as you could ask for, and not one that you're likely to borrow unless you have a chimney with a good, strong draft. For who wants to burn leather during the Christmas season when there are so many other interesting things to be done like baking the Christmas cookies, filling out the Christmas gift list, helping the youngsters make out that all-important list for Santa Claus, and shopping for the tallest tree and the plumpest turkey. All these things are what help to make the Christmas season the most exciting in all the year. Anyway, it's hard to believe that any self-respecting imp or evil spirit would be abroad during this season. Christmas is the time for rejoicing and once again renewing our faith in the world of peace as promised by a babe in the manger whose birthday now we will soon observe. <laughs>